following content may be unsuitable for young audiences. Welcome to Now I See, a place where people share their eye-opening moments and how it changed the way they see themselves, their world, and their place in it. We hope you'll be encouraged and inspired by the stories you hear, and challenged to see things in a whole new way, too. Sit back and enjoy this show that we've prepared especially with you in mind. I'm your host, Kit McCarty. Our special guest today is Jan Times. Welcome, Jan. Thank you so much, Kit. Thanks for having me today. How are you doing? I am doing great. And uh, what a great day. That's beautiful spring day for both of us. We're in different locations, but we're enjoying a beautiful spring day together. And I'm loving that. Amen. Jan was born to a Dutch-German family from Chile, South America, who fled the United States to the United States in the early 1970s during the turbulent years of the Allende administration. Volatility would continue to mark Jan's life as his parents divorced when he was around six years old, and his inner turmoil led to substance abuse and failed relationships in his teen and early adult years. His persistent doubts about his worth and faith resulted in travels to faraway places to find himself, and he found new age and cult practices, and he struggled with emotional and mental instability. His story of redemption and restoration is surprising and thrilling and the topic of our show today. Jan has been recovering for the past several years and now helps others on their own recovery journey. He's a graduate of Texas A&M University and currently works as an environmental engineer in Sedona, Arizona, where he lives with his wife of four years and her children. Jan, one of the things I like most about you is your curiosity, which has made you a pursuer of truth. I see your passion persistence, authenticity, and your willingness to do the hard work of healing. How do you see yourself? <laughs> it is hard work. It is hard work. but um, And you haven't shied away from it. Good for you. I tell you, um, how I used to see myself, I didn't even know. It was so covert. It was so deeply embedded in my heart that I was a worthless, unvalued, unloved person. And if you saw me, if you were a normal person seeing me from the outside looking in, you could probably see the struggles I was having internally. Mm. And so I did have some people through my life uh, try and give me good guidance or, or godly guidance. But I was so much in the twilight zone. I was in so much denial and delusion about my life that I would have told you everything was fine. And that any day now, my life was going to be amazing. There was going to be breakthrough. And yet I didn't know what an orphan that I really was. Mm -hmm. So today I'll tell you that I am a child of God. I am very much loved. I'm very valuable or valued in his kingdom. I'm worthwhile. I'm a success. Uh, he cares for me. I know these things and they're starting to come into my heart for the first time in my life. Wow. Well, we want to hear how that amazing transformation happened. Can you share with us a little bit more about your background? Why did you feel like you weren't valued? Well, like I said, or like you mentioned, I grew up in a, uh, an immigrant family. There were first generations here. And um, I, I didn't feel like I belonged uh, in white middle America. And I also uh, was kind of estranged from our home country of Chile. Uh, we would go every year and visit and there was a good foundation in our family. But uh, when my mother decided to uh, divorce my father, he was a doctor, spent most of his days at work. Um, 
she found uh, just comfort and, and joy in a, a German man who had a son. His wife had passed away from cancer. And so she decided to, to divorce my father and marry uh, this German man who became my stepdad and just a wonderful man named Klaus. And uh, his, step, his son came into our family, became my stepbrother. And, um, and I just had a deep sense that my father had rejected me. Like he disappeared overnight. Uh, I was terrible at communicating. Uh, my, my mother already uh, kind of, I felt as a young, young kid that my mom was struggling with some things that she hadn't dealt with. And even as a three-year-old moving on, uh, I really felt like I was always trying to change her and I would use temper tantrums to try and get my way. And I was really just angry that I wasn't getting the kind of love and attention that I knew that she could give, but she she didn't just didn't make that transition into healing. Like she, it's a very, takes a lot of courage to see oneself and to be willing to see certain things and to walk through that healing fire and to know that you're valuable and worthy instead of pushing through it. And at a very young age, like I already knew that that was like, there, there was something in me very, very sensitive to the world around me. And, and like I said, I just wasn't, feeling the love that I could have been receiving and and the kind of codependent I became was the kind that always held on to the hope of being loved by his parents in that unique way which I never was and so when my dad uh, what I'll say disappeared he never really disappeared but when when he disappeared and that's how I perceived it as a child um, I just, I became the class clown. I was the family clown. Uh, I was really good at making jokes and keeping the family alive. I was the middle child. And immediately when we started having contact with my dad again, my mom would tell us, don't say anything around him that will anger him. So they never really worked out their communication issues after the divorce, but they worked it out through us. And being the sensitive middle child that I was, uh, I kept my brothers in line, my older brother, my younger brother. If they said anything out of line, I was the police there monitoring. And, and I began controlling at a very young age. And I would control for safety so that the shoe would never drop again in my life. I really felt that sense of impending doom could happen at any time. And I became extremely rebellious, uh, knowing how to do things my own way so that I could create that illusion of safety in my life. That's incredibly self-aware. Did you know that then? Or did you figure it out looking back? I don't think I was anywhere near that self-aware at that age. When I was in it, you know, and that happens to all of us, uh, when we're in it, you know, something traumatic happens in our childhood. And we first move into that place of of denial that it's happening. And at the same time, blaming, we, we immediately go into victimhood. And so being in that place of denial and blaming at the same time, I started as I went into my teens growing extremely resentful. Uh, my brother got into some trouble uh, within a year or two there, I am in some trouble, but at the same time, we're, we, we're growing up in a really, in a higher middle-class family. So we have great family values. There wasn't much extreme dysfunction in our family, not any uh, alcoholism. Um, there was some codependence going on. So I, I struggle with being in my head and overly thinking things. And then 
in my 20s, uh, I mean, I was just extremely mental about a lot of things. Um, I started to use uh, spiritual drugs, what I call them, because um, there was something there was something like a tangible result. Like I could go to a world that I knew was, was real and I could, I could play there and experience some, some peace for the inner struggle that I was experiencing. And I could never, I, I never found anyone in my life who directly spoke to that feeling I was having deep inside. There was maybe a man once every few years who I would have a one hour conversation with. And I'm thinking of like, um, church camp uh, in middle school and high school. Uh, and there was a camp that I went to for a couple weeks, a Christian camp in high school. Um, and those were the only places I really had a man speaking into my life. And I was so full of that sarcasm and class clown. Like I just, I had that lack of sincerity. So I knew looking back after those conversations that something really amazing had just taken place. But in the conversation, I had a lot of difficulty really being present and like recognizing what was happening, which was someone was giving me attention. And that's what I didn't have as a child. I never had somebody look into my eyes, like looking into my soul and just showing me that I had worth and value by giving me that time. But you knew that you did. And that's really amazing. Even though you didn't feel it, you knew it was out there. That, that is really amazing to me. You didn't feel peace, but you had a sense that there was peace to be found. You didn't have love, but you felt like there was love to be found. How did you know those things? How did you know? I knew it existed. You know, even as a kid, uh, we grew up going to, you know, my father earned a lot of money as an orthopedic surgeon and he had us go to uh, a private school when we were really young. Uh, so I started going to the private school when I was in first grade. And we had to go to a uh, church, uh, a school church every day for prayers. And there was something really special that would happen there. It's like the enemy knew that I had a tender heart bent towards God at a very, very young age. And so without strong mentorship in my life, the enemy really did speak into my heart and into my mind into my soul at those formative years when I was really going through those struggles and really derailed me for a long, long time. I was in a math test, second uh, algebra two. And in the middle of this exam, I couldn't remember the answer. And, and I just stopped and I prayed and I said, God, if Jesus Christ really died on the cross for me and washed me clean by his blood, and if you are the God for wow. me, then please give me the right answer. And immediately it said, in my mind, I saw the letter C, asymptote, and that was the answer. And I got the question right. And the moment I realized I got it right, I got angry. And I said, no, like, how can this be true? Like, I just couldn't believe that this God really did this, that God came in human form and died for my sins. And after having gone through 10 years in the new age and really just practicing every technique under the sun and understanding magic and understanding controlling energy and spirits and angelic work and the, uh, the Akashic records and all this stuff, like I realized the magic that Jesus did when he came here, fulfilling all of these prophecies and just finding this perfect connection 
and bringing all of it together into a way where he did defeat death, hell, and the grave and provided this perfect redemption for me. And when Paul says that, that we have been given every spiritual blessing in heaven and knowing that I have an eternal life, that I'm not stuck in this wheel of the cycle of birth and death, which is what I learned when I was trained as a Buddhist for so many years. I mean, I've, I've now learned at least like what the enemy and what the deception says and what the world believes. There's, there's a lot to say there. Um, well, you were hard lost, but you've been hard found and I'm so loving the transformation and you're still on it. I mean, you know, neither one of us have arrived where we want to be, but we sure aren't the people that we were before. So um, tell me about your conversion story. What made you ultimately change your mind? In 2005, I was living in Durango, Colorado. I had moved there from Florida. I was a practicing engineer. Um, I grew up as a Christian, but we, ne we were never in a strong Christian family. We just went to church on Sundays. Uh, we didn't really bring Christ into our daily life and understand him um, as like a daily savior that I need to give my struggles over to him and that he would heal me. What? Like we never went through that kind of deep, uh, charismatic walk with the Lord. So I was confused, like I, like I talked about in 10th grade, and that confusion cont continued through college. There was a man in college who was a, a hardcore drug user and drug dealer who lived next door to me. And this man named uh, George one day was walking through campus, and he heard an evangelist. And the evangelist said something, the Holy Spirit moved through him. My friend George had an eternal conviction and change and overnight became this just spirit-filled, happy, joyful man who quit drugs and quit dealing drugs overnight. He would come over to my house and talk to me about the love of Christ. And at that point, I'm like 22 years old. I'm get, I was so burned through my own choices, through women, through my struggles in relationships, through my use of alcohol already, that I became extremely resentful. How can God do this for George and not for Jan? And I didn't have any kind of mentorship to like walk me through the fire of where I had put myself through selfishness and through anger and resentment through really a hurt heart and walk me back into that story of recovery and redemption and to walk hand in hand with Christ. I had no idea. And so in 2005, you know, I left Florida, got an engineering job in Colorado. Uh, I was classic alcoholic where I would um, have a geographic every two years and kind of move to a new place every two, three years. And in, in Colorado, uh, I, I knew that I had to start over but start over sober. So I began taking antibuse and, and self-medicating to stay sober. And I was there for four months and, and I decided, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd done a couple months of sobriety. I could go back to drinking again. I never understood how alcoholism worked, that I had a, uh, a craving, uh, basically an obsession in my mind for it and an allergy in my body and I had a spiritual malady, and that my only way home out of that, my only sense of freedom, was growing in a relationship with God. So anyone struggling really with alcoholism or codependence or any kind of illness, whether it's gambling, sex, shopping, food addiction, which I've struggled with immensely in my life, and the Lord has done amazing miracles there. Um, you're all, what's really happening is God saying, I'm calling you home. 
I want to remove that orphan spirit from you. I want to be number one in your life. The first scripture that came to me when I entered recovery was seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all his righteousness and everything will be given unto thee. And there was something that rang so true. It's like what he says in Revelation, I believe 21, where he says, behold, I make all things new. Amen. And so I was, it was 2005. I began to drink again. Uh, this one night after I'd gotten a new engineering job, I was on the way to visit my good friend in Northern Colorado and my parents the next day to spend the weekend with them in, in uh, what's it called? Strawberry Springs or something, some pretty Colorado name. And um, I started drinking that night as I was driving and it was about midnight and I black out after about seven or nine shots on the highway. I'm doing about 80. Uh, it was a Subaru I was driving that I'd rebuilt in Florida. I love that car and a blackout. I'm going north on 25, just north of Pueblo, just outside of Colorado Springs. I hang up the friend with my uh, the phone with my friend and I said, hey, I'm on my way and he doesn't hear anything from me. And I just hear the sound of the wheels go over the, uh, the curb. And I enter the, the, the V ditch in between both directions of highway. And my car just started flipping and flipping and flipping and then landed on, a, on all four wheels. I woke up when I landed on four wheels and I just had a sense in me that I was supposed to crawl through the passenger window and everything would be okay. And I began to crawl through that window. I didn't even think to think of the door next to me, but I, it's like, that's what God was telling me. The lights were on in the car. The radio had shut off. I had it on full blast. I knew the album I was listening to, the song very well. But as I began to crawl, my left leg didn't move. And I realized it had been severely damaged in the accident. Um, so I picked it up and I placed it in a way where I could crawl and drag my leg behind me. And I hit the ground with a smile on my face. I knew there was a problem because there was alcohol in the car, but I knew that I was going to be taken care of because someone must have seen those headlights flying through the air. And I was woken up with uh, a police officer shining his light in my face. And he said, have you been drinking? And I said, yes, sir, only two. And um, I had some you know, in and outs of consciousness until I got in the hospital where they're cutting my new clothes off and my, my shoe. And, and I was just angry about that. You know, I was just resentful about everything in my life. And then they proceeded to, to do a number of surgeries to rebuild my left leg. I'd crushed the popliteal artery and my leg, my knee had hit the dash so hard that, you know, basically it killed my left leg. But fortunately, being in Colorado ski country, there were the, the world's best doctors there and knee surgeons. And they were called in the middle of the night. They came and saved my life. Um, still struggle with it a little today with the way that it, uh, with its full mobility. But, you know, I can walk, I can hike, I can yeah. ride a bike, I can swim. So the Lord is very, very gracious. It was, it was the fifth day in ICU where I was just sitting there thinking to myself, I could still drink. You know, my parents oh my were called. Gosh. They found my phone. They're on their way. And, and, and they're just crying in the other room. And I'm just thinking to myself, I could probably still drink. Like, like why not? And then I started having flashbacks of all those times I'd been like in foxhole prayers over the 10 years past. I'd been at that time drinking about 12 years of my life. And I mean, a lot. 
And if it wasn't the alcohol, it was the marijuana. It was always something, just self-medicating. And then I said out loud, maybe this is my bottom. Mm. And I started saying that out loud a few times. Maybe this is my bottom. Maybe this is my bottom. And after the third time, I felt tingles all over my body. And I knew that some kind of spirit of alcoholism was forever removed from my life. And later on, I would find out, you know, 10 years later, I find out that actually God had removed the obsession to drink. I'd had a third step experience. If you understand the AA and recovery through the 12 steps and, and no longer would I have that desire to drink again. However, I didn't understand that what God had removed was really that 8% of the iceberg that floats above the mm -hmm. surface. Mm -hmm. And that 92%, which creates that floating portion was the pain in my heart that I had not dealt with. So I went three months through learning how to walk again, putting my underwear on, you know, sitting in a, uh, a wheelchair. And, and then as I got this new apartment, my parents helped me move in Durango and, and um, just helped me get settled. Um, and I started going back to work. I had a, heard a new voice in my mind. And this voice said, maybe Jesus Christ isn't the only master. Mm. And it was a similar voice in inspiration to maybe this is my bottom three months before. But it was, that was an example of how the enemy would come in and speak to my mind and my heart and just really derail me. And without strong Christian mentorship, and an understanding, I went full, full force for 10 years into the new age. And I, I went as deep as one could. Uh, I made people my higher power, gurus, spiritual teachers. I had a psychic who was my, my teacher and healer for a number of years. I went from cult to cult, uh, probably joined and stayed in each cult maybe two plus years and i was probably in 10 different cults and there was overlap between the years always just gaining in knowledge and never in wisdom like the bible talks about just sucking knowledge down i'd go to my job at uh, during the day come home and i joined a, a personal development home-based business where i spent most of the nights learning about myself and healing and i was having a real awakening I could hear things very clearly. My sense organs were extremely awake. But though my present day was waking up, my inner heart and the mm. past and the festering pain was still just really present. So if you said certain things, I would write you off as a friend. There was never any sense of like the Lord's restoration that would happen in my life. It was always a continuation of just like selfishness extreme selfishness we're all i was so grateful i was live and i knew that there's some kind of godly power and angelic power that had kept me alive but i didn't surrender which is the primary primary verb mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in turning your life and will over the care of god is surrender i still was waving my flag of yan i wasn't waving the white flag Three months, in fact, just before I heard that voice in my mind, somebody had called me from AA and said, hey, can I walk through this with you for a while? And I told the guy to F off. And so I was 10 years in the new age. Uh, it culminated with, uh, I had moved to Sedona, cashed out all my retirement accounts, left engineering. You know, so when Paul talks about 
And by the way, you know, then that was another way that the enemy really duped me was that like anything written by Paul, anything about Revelation and everything about Hebrews, those three things in the New Testament, I had a blinder on because the enemy was just like, you cannot like this is bad, you know. And it's, I know that's not true today. Like those three books or, or the, the writings of Paul, Hebrews and Revelation have been like enormous, you know, like without, I had one of my greatest awakenings three, four years ago, reading through Romans, you know, and it took three years to even get to the New Testament because I was still struggling for three years of walking with the Lord about why I need Jesus Christ. And God just put me into the Old Testament and said, here, enjoy. <laughs> Most people do not. <laughs> so, I mean, I love God, the father. A lot of people have those struggles. You know, when we come to the Lord, it's like we either struggle with Christ or we struggle Mm -hmm. with God or we struggle with the Holy Spirit. And mine wasn't struggling with the father. I knew he was a rich and loving father. And when I read through the Old Testament and I read through Jeremiah and Ecclesiastes, these were some of the books, uh, Exodus, that just like squeezed tears out of my heart because I knew I was that kind of selfish man. And I had no idea that the Bible was about a people group and that they actually struggled. Like I had no idea that they had, they were a, a, an example of the human condition. And I saw myself as the mirror through them. And when I finally came to the new Testament and saw what God wiped, did for me, how much he loved me and how he wiped all that shame free from me. So I, I jumped, I know I jumped a couple of stories there, but what really happened was at the end of this 10 years, uh, being deep, deep in the new age, I was teaching uh, the 10 days Vipassana meditation technique that I learned from India from a number of really great teachers there. Learned a lot of great spiritual principles through them, had a lot of great healing. But ultimately, it was mental mastery. It wasn't allowing God to take the reign of my life and say, Jan, for your unique issues, I want to walk you through and father you doing this, this, then this, because for that 10 years in the new age, it was Jan saying, I want to do this, this, and this. And so nothing ever stuck because I was always in control. It seems like you've had your own personal exodus where you were in bondage for so, so long until you were free. And so that is amazing to me. Most people do not find God in the Old Testament. They find him in Jesus in the new, but God knew exactly what you needed. And I love your story of transformation. We're going to take a break right now. And in just a moment, we'll be back with more of Jan's story. spiritual journey is proving to be quite a wild ride. Hang on for more of his fantastic adventures after our break. I just wanted to remind you that if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love to have you share it with others or let the algorithms do it for you when you leave us a good rating and review. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NowICPod or go straight to our site at nis.media. There, you can sign up for our weekly email, our new monthly Bible study, or visit the archives to read our blogs and listen to previous guests, like musician Joel Salazar, who we featured last week. We are on week one of our month-long walk-run for Athena to raise money and awareness for victims of child abuse and shaken baby syndrome. You can find out more information about Athena by revisiting our episode with her adoptive mom, Tina Davis. 
and more about the event by visiting their Facebook page at Our Journey with Athena. We all appreciate your support. Now, back to our show. And we are back with our guest today, Jan Times. Jan, we left our audience at a cliffhanger. We were right in the middle of your new age story. Pick us up from there. (laughs) Thanks so much, Kit. So I was living in Colorado. Um, You know, I just, I felt in my heart that um, there was something calling me into a deeper life and spirituality. So um, today I know that those were the synchronicities of the enemy. Uh, even though there was maybe a benign uh, desire to have a greater healing in my heart. Um, But my story led me to leaving my engineering career, and I ended up in Sedona, Arizona. Sedona is like a mecca, like a few other uh, cities across the nation that are very, very high in deception and very high in the new age. Um, Every kind of guru and spiritual tech, it basically it's a spiritual six flags. And so you come to Sedona just like you would go to India, which is why I ended up in Mm -hmm. India again. I was on my spiritual six flags and, and I uh, became very adept at healing modalities. Uh, I had a, a kind of a really a worldwide uh, phone based healing um, business that I did for a few years alongside teaching Vipassana. Uh, I learned a, a method of emotional healing and, and different things from another teacher, but my heart was so in the wrong place. I would basically take everyone's information and sell it, you know, and and just use it for my own personal gain. And what I didn't know was that I was struggling with a broken heart. And most of the motives I had were trying to prove myself to my father. When I looked deep enough, I was trying to prove my self-worth. And so I got married after I came back from India. India was a beautiful country. They believe that guest is God. So I did really well with all the people I met there. They would have me over for weeks. They would probably, I would still be living there, you know, but I got really sick uh, for a second time while I was there. And and then my body really just shut down and said it was important. I had to leave. So I came back to the United States, continued in this healing business and teaching meditation, whatever I learned in India. And I got married to a woman who had two children here in this area. And uh, I had no idea that I was a classic, uh, I was dying from alcoholism and I was dying from codependence. Um, it's, it's a terrible, terrible disease. And so you end up finding dysfunctional, uh, relationships everywhere you go. The other person is going to either be also a codependent, a narcissist or an alcoholic or drug addict. And so I was in a very, uh, abusive relationship, not so much physically though. It started to move in that direction, but deeply emotionally, spiritually, uh, deeply, uh, abusive and I was the cause of a lot of that. Mm. So it was a violent exchange I had with my wife at the time. And um, we were on our way to talk about our marriage. Um, and after what happened, um, I called up a neighbor and I, and I said, hey, this just happened. Uh, what do I do? And it was really maybe the first time that my heart was soft and open for guidance. And this woman said, come to my house. You can't talk to your family for the next seven days. And I just want to talk to you about your life. And that seven days turned into six months and she became like a halfway house for me. And in that time, you know, I still didn't know the Lord. I went through a divorce, uh, but I entered a recovery program and I didn't believe I was struggling from alcoholism because I had not been drinking for 10 years. 
but I'd replaced that drink with other substances. A real interesting turn of events happened. This woman was strong in the New Age and an American Indian. Uh, she was actually the second highest uh, healer in the Kiowa Indian tribe. Very well known in certain groups. Uh, very interesting, the kind of things that happened around her. So there was a lot of like uh, interesting spiritual things that would happen, which is why I was so attracted to her because I was so filled with oppression. Um, and so I was just attracted to those really uh, like, like phenomena that would happen in life uh, around those kinds of spiritual practices. And, um, but after about a month and a half of working with her, I was reading through a book in recovery and I realized I had been a taker my whole life, never a giver. And I broke down into tears. Around that time, I had a deep, deep, tearful half hour cry about my father. And I started to realize some of the brokenness that I'd had there. And I started working the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous with this woman. She, I find out, had recovered from alcoholism 20 years before. And um, there was an event that happened between me and her where she fired me as, as a sponsor, you know, as a sponsee. And so I went into town to uh, begin um, going to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I found a very godly man who would just take no crap from me. Anytime I would give him something sideways or, or some kind of yawnism, you know, he would just set me straight immediately. He would, he would sniff out uh, victimhood, blame, low self-esteem, pride issues. He would just sniff it out so fast and bring it back to what's my part. So I walked with that man for four and a half years and God oh started gosh. to work a lot of miracles. Wow. That, I, a lot of people would have left at the first, you know, <laughs> the first time when he said, I am not having this. I'm, I'm not I, listening to that. You know, I was in so much pain Wow. when I broke down and went to this woman's house. When, when this event had happened with my wife at the time, there was so much brokenness inside mm -hmm. of me. I used to film videos on YouTube, half hour long videos that told you how to have a great life. And here I am sleeping in separate bedrooms for my own wife like half the week. So I, I finally start, it was like God started to reveal the amount of denial and deception mm -hmm. that I was in, in those first two and three years in AA. I, he, he changed my heart in the first year where even without knowing Christ, I saw the value finally in tithing. I started to walk with a Bible in, on my person at all times. And I started to read it. And he, that's what he was saying was, Jan, I want you to sit with me and start to read. After a few months, he started saying, I want you to sit in church again. And uh, I got really sick, really, really sick with something similar that my, my roommate had. It was about a year into recovery. And I just had a sense like I needed to go on YouTube and look at miraculous healing stories of Jesus Christ. And I did that. And I found a man named Thurman Scrivener, who the Lord had really blessed with a lot of he, he had blessed him with the with the, the gift of healing and miracles. And, and Thurman really touched my life for about four years. I know that there was a lot of other things. Maybe it's not the, the whole gospel that I know today, but there was healing that took place in his ministry where I experienced four miracles through this man. And um, I prayed to the Lord Jesus Christ, thanks to a video I saw with Thurman that night. And I broke into tears for half an hour and I said, about a million or a billion and a half people on this planet know who you are, but I don't. And if you're real, I need a miracle. And within 24 hours, I was healthy. I was back at work. And knowing what I knew from the, the healing 
in the new age that I'd done for 10 years, uh, I got baptized within two weeks. Wow. I think it was three weeks. Wow. And on March 13th, 2016, I was baptized and I just knew I'm not going to look back. And so for the last seven years, you know, it's just been healing upon healing. It's been, it's been deep inner work. Um, mm-hmm. And so I joined a, a fellowship uh, through Codependence Anonymous. I joined a number of fellowships at our, at our church. I'm extremely active in our church and in a number of ministries having to do with deliverance and with mentorship. I know the, the power of what it's done in my life, what Jesus mm-hmm. does when I remain in his grace. But in recovery, you know, I never had enough money at the end of the month. And the month I entered recovery in March of 2015 until today, I don't know, that's been 70 months or whatever it's been. My income has just steadily increased, increased, mm-hmm. increased, increased. And it's not about the blessing of God, of, of, of being blessed financially. Everything I have in my life is a manifestation of what's changing in my heart. Mm-hmm. I finally have roots growing in the community. I have a new wife. We met in recovery. Both of us lost everything from family, children, house, mm-hmm. car, everything, everything. And started from scratch. Mm-hmm. We bled our tears on the table for two years or more. Uh, strong, strong discipleship, each of us. My wife couldn't read a book for a few months in recovery. She got recovered or restored at a at a nine-month treatment program, which today she runs here in Cottonwood. It's a 12-bed facility for women, and there's a 12-bed dual diagnosis facility for men. And, and both of us continue to sponsor people on a daily basis. I do my best. Um, it's still difficult for me to do that. Um, but that's the wonderful thing about discipling another person. There's a whole other dimension and chapter of what the Lord does in our lives when we work with another human being. I was in Prescott and Phoenix this last weekend helping a man get sober, bringing him to a a recovery, um, a new kind of place to find recovery. And and it's difficult to do those things and find the time in our lives. but, But, you know, God guides my life today. And by doing that, you know, I start every morning with prayers and then prayers of my wife and about a half hour with the Lord and the word. Um, I reach out to godly counsel. I meet with a a mentor every Wednesday for the last, I don't know, year and a half, two years. But God is a loving God. There are deep, deep struggles in our lives. He wants us to walk through every one of them. The first thing we really come to and what I don't even find most people in recovery finding is Jesus Christ. The first thing is going, you know, just falling on our knees saying, Lord, you are the one. So the first thing is finding Christ. The second thing is knowing how to walk with him, is following him. It's that discipleship. So I'm saved by Christ. I'm sanctified by Christ. Those two things. But today it's, uh, it's again, it's just a daily commitment to the Lord and knowing that he loves me, speaking the word over myself, knowing that there is hope and his name is Jesus. Mm. And that he always wants what's best for me. Mm, Such a great way to wrap up our show. If people want to continue the conversation, how can they get in touch with you? You I imagine you you can leave my phone number or email uh, in the comments uh, with this video. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just want people to know that they are loved. uh, And I'm saying that to myself at the same time. They are loved and there is hope. And it doesn't matter how far down the scale you have gone. God will take, he has the power of redemption, which will take your story, your mess, and turn it into a message, or your test and turn it into a testimony. And it will benefit somebody. 
And it's a joy to finally get restored. This restoration does not happen like the New Age says in one weekend. This is a lifelong walk, but in most of us, it's a few year period in the, in the you know, coming into the door with Christ. Even if you've been with Christ for a while and you don't really know how to walk with him, when you really open up into a, a deeply transparent, open walk, allowing, just learning how to keep your heart soft so he can continue to work on your heart on a daily basis, then after a couple of years, you know, that, that deep sense of striving, the workaholism, the perfectionism, the not good enough, all of that falls away. And you can start to look into the eyes of that person across the table and you can have a, a deep, profound care for them instead of a resentment that they're trying to control me or whatever else mm-hmm, comes mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. The competition mm-hmm. falls away and just a bubbling up, the desire to serve others because I know I, I loved and filled my own tank is begins to replace all that orphan heart mm-hmm, absolutely but, uh, you know there's there's steps in this you were saying i mean go ahead tell me about scripture because i, nope. <laughs> I just always love to hear the word of god well i was just going to say scripture says that perfect love casts out fear and so those fears of rejection and of um isolation and of failure uh, anything that we'd be afraid of when we have god's love we don't desperately crave other ways to fill that we're already full amen mm-hmm. i'm told i'm reminded that his relationship with me is always perfect. It's my relationship with him is flawed. He has never left me and will never leave me, which is a big part of the struggle I had in my past, always feeling alone, even in a crowded room. But he's always with me. And today I can pause and there's a few encouraging things I can say that I've learned in scripture and along the way and things that he's put on my heart or things that he's shown me in my mind. And there's so many good stories, man. I just want to share you a couple of these. Like, <laughs> well, just then you're going to have like, to come back. You're going to but... have to come back and be a guest again. I hope that our listeners yeah. have enjoyed this as much as I have. I appreciate you for having me here today, Kit. We're so glad you were able to join us for today's compelling story. You can find out more about our guest today by reading our show notes or visiting our website, nis.media. You can also find us on Facebook. Twitter, and Instagram. Special thanks to the team at Headset Radio for their technical expertise and to Becky Salazar for our bumper music. See you next week.